in all seriousness, we have made it to Romans 8 and we are picking up where we left off again. Because that's just how this works and I won't give you that rundown again. However, the rundown I will give you, the proper understanding of the law. Paul has agreed with the truth of the law about himself. Paul has lamented his sin. And Paul has cried out in hope for deliverance. Now, it is time to expand upon that hope. Believe it or not, this is actually the beginning of the good news portion of the book of Romans. It's not going to feel like it in a couple of weeks, but (laughs) this is actually the good news part. And look on the bright side. It only took us 17 sermons to get here. (laughs) Can't imagine why, you know, on Wednesdays we're going to be in Genesis until the end of time, can you? (laughs) Just took us 17 weeks to get through, you know, most of half of the book of Romans because we're not even halfway done yet. But as the expansion goes... You go from the reality of what does life actually look like? Who does that apply to in chapter 2? What does that mean for humanity in chapter 3 and 4 and the work of God coming from chapters 4 and into 5? And then how that applies to us in chapter 6 and what that means for us in chapter 7. It is actually time to do a little bit of celebrating in chapter 8 because, again, you are seeing yourself rightly as you see yourself not through the lens of you in this world but of you through Christ. So remember where this leaves off with Paul's lament and his hope in God and then we will dive in with verse one. Sound good? All right. Therefore, so again, because we're thanking Christ for freeing us from this body of death, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now this becomes important as we build on. Why not? Why is there now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? The answer, Christ's work kills you, remember? And Paul is very fond of saying this. This goes back to his very first letter, Galatians 2. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, loved me and gave himself up for me. And remember the great law of humanity, the law doesn't apply to corpses. I mean, now don't tell the IRS that because as soon as they figure out a way to make those tax laws apply to your dead carcass, they will. And this is in contrary to what I'm forever telling Cameron driving down the road because I am convinced at least twice a week I see a corpse driving a car and I don't know how that works. Have you seen these people? They drive like this. And I'll pass them and go, Cameron, that person didn't blink. They're not breathing. The car is just on autopilot. And she's like, no, 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 they're fine. They're just old. (laughs) So if, if that's you, congrats. I'm happy for you. I look forward to the day when people think I am a corpse driving down the road because I'm just going to drive around all day and enjoy that. Just be like, "Ah." (laughs) wait for them to freak out. Be like, hi, Ah, don't do that. Anyway, no, I am having too much fun. Hey, I've already told you the rules. If no one else has fun on a Sunday morning, I do. And that's all that matters. But the law does not apply to a corpse. Romans uh, 7, 1 again. Do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. This is one of the benefits in our world of actually dying is that you can't pay your bills anymore because they can't come after you any longer because you didn't take anything with you. <laughs> See, there's a benefit to these things. You didn't know that. And by the way, this idea of no longer being a slave to sin, no longer being under the power of sin, but being freed in Christ is not unique to Paul. If you get nothing else out of everything that I give you, at least get this, that the Bible is actually a unified book. The, the big fancy theological term is we, we have a unified corpus, which is a group of books put together. So things like 1 John 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And again, because I am like contractually obligated, every time I read the word propitiation, I have to do what? I have to define it because if, if the one time I forget, someone will grab me at the end of the service and go, what was that word you said again? So I, to turn away wrath. John is like the only one who uses it in the New Testament, or it's the only one we translate it. He's not the only one who uses it, but we translate it like that because it's an accurate translation. It's just, who who talks like that? 
Exactly. So, you know, we're, none of us sit around watching Masterpiece Theater in our spare time, so our, our vocabularies have been diminished by, you know, reality television. So, we say, God, God's wrath has been turned away by Christ. How? Because Christ has absorbed the penalty due for you. So that in Christ's death to sin, because of your sin, you too are dead. Therefore, the law has done its job in you. You have been driven to Christ. You have seen the folly of your ways. You have been driven to Christ. You are now dead to sin and alive in him. This is the, that's not supposed to rhyme, but it did. This is how the New Testament is presenting salvation because this is what the Bible promises you in salvation going all the way back to the beginning. This is the hope as it is revealed. So, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because, verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So this is another one of those fulfillment things. You are free in Christ. Go back to Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is why we talk about you being free in Christ. You are free to follow in the newness of life because you actually know what it is. This is the great distinction of the transformed heart and the renewed mind in a fallen and sinful world. Is you can actually look at a fallen sinful world and go, hey, you know what that looks like? That looks an awful lot like fallen sin. See, the sinner still in his fallen state, still rejoicing in his folly. The, the good example I always like to use is like the pig still wallowing around in his muck and his mire. Doesn't notice that he's dirty because what is everyone else that he's interacting with? It's dirty too. This is why you are supposed to look different because you walk in and you are clean. They're like, hey, you want to roll around in the mud with us? No. No, I do not. And then we make the mistake of saying what? Yeah, sure, sure. Let me just, just, just splash a little over here and that'll be fine. See, 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 now I'm just like you guys. Don't you want to love Jesus too? What, what's the problem with this presentation? Do, do you clean the mud off by getting muddier? <laughs> Lou is shaking his head in complete disgust. Like, I know, but you're just like, I cannot believe you people. (laughs) And I appreciate that. It's every once in a while I need to receive the disappointed dad look. It's okay. (laughs) This is, but this is what we do is we, we lie to ourselves and say, well, just a little bit of mud, just, just like at the ankle, it'll be okay. And that'll be fine. And then nobody will notice. And then what ends up happening? We're at the ankle. And then since that wasn't so bad, we then do what? Well, now we'll go to the knee and then that wasn't so bad. So then we do what? And all of a sudden you realize, how in the world did I get covered in this? And what did, oh, wait, I know what happened. My bad. Now what do we do? We return to Christ, start all over. This is the continuing cycle. This is the Romans 7 war of your mind. The challenge and the pull that is constantly there. The recognition, again, I'm going to go back to Pilgrim's Progress because I keep doing this. One of the, one of the weirdest parts of that book to me, because I didn't get it until I got to the end of the section, is when... Um, I think it's the castle of despair that Christian is locked in, and he's he's just, um, what's the word? It's not wallowing. Wasting! That's the word. It was another W. He is just wasting away because he cannot escape the castle because he's in chains and he can't get out, and there's this giant that's beating him and starving him to death. And then he wakes up one day, and he's like, I've had the key to the chains the whole time. I could have left any time I wanted and gone back to Christ any time. My bad. And it's like, oh, Bunyan, that was really good, because that's what it looks like in our sin. That's what the Christian looks like when you just wallowed around your sin, and you're like, oh, wait, there's a Savior. That's what 1 John 2 is about. We have an advocate with the Father who has taken away wrath, who has cleansed you from this unrighteousness. Return unto him and walk. You know, things like Ephesians 2. God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are now free in Christ. You see the world rightly. You see you rightly. And you, in your renewed mind, think about those things rightly. Now, therefore, as you go out, that's the foundation for your decisions. And again, you're not going to like accidentally sin. You're not going to accidentally wallow in your sin. You're not going to accidentally besmirch your Savior. You know you want to. 
I get it. I'm not even going to tell you it's okay. Normally, I'd be like, it's okay. But no, 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 it's not okay. It's not okay when I do it. It's not okay when you do it. It's not okay when anybody does it. However, we have an advocate. We have a Savior to whom we return. We have a Savior to whom we are cleansed, in whom we are cleansed. And therefore, we start our road again constantly. This is, this is we're going to be doing Reformation next week. This is Luther with his 95 Theses. When God talks about repentance, he means that the entirety of the Christian life is a life of repentance. It is a continual turning away from sin and turning back to God. This is the war of chapter 7 being celebrated in chapter 8 and reminding you that that war of chapter 7 is actually one. You are free in Christ. And by the way, that freedom is not just, okay, you're free now, but 20 minutes from now, you're on your own, kid. This is an eternal freedom, Romans 5. If by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 7 builds on this. It was fitting for us to have a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Now, that gives me my reminder that I I haven't done this in a while, so this is good for you. How many of your sins were future sins when Christ offered up himself as sacrifice? All of them. You are not that old, regardless of how you feel each day. Okay, just make sure we cover that. Some of you may feel that old. You are not. My favorite joke on that is always, as I tell people, you're only as young as you feel. And that's why some days I am 92. And I made the mistake of saying that to Mike Houston one day. And when he was in the midst of all his doctor's appointments, and Mike looks at me, he goes, if you're 92, I died seven years ago. <laughs> And I was like, you're one of those corpses driving around. <laughs> like, yes. So yeah, you know, you know what I mean when I say that. All of your sins were future sins. Christ has cleansed you in his work. Christ is cleansing you. It's not like you woke up to and be like, oh my goodness, I sinned and Jesus didn't cover that one. No, 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 no. He covered that one too. That has been cleared by the work of Christ. You are righteous in the kingdom now. With your focus on Christ, with your focus on the kingdom, with your hope in God, your knowledge of the scripture, go out into your world and live victoriously as the redeemed people that you actually are. This is the warning that Paul is giving you. This is the encouragement that he's giving you, is that you go out in knowledge victoriously. We go out in knowledge defeated. So we know what we're supposed to do, but we think we're not capable of doing it. We think we're not capable of accomplishing any good thing because we're not Jesus. And then we just create this drain, swirl, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy. And then, oh, look, we've made a nice excuse for our sin. Stop that. It's not good when I do it. It's not good when you do it. I joke about like reviewing the dumb thing that I say each week. I call it death spiraling. You know, you just get this thought in your head and it won't go away. And that's, that's me every Monday morning. For some reason, it doesn't hit me on Sunday afternoon. It hits me Monday morning. And then it's there until about Tuesday. And then it can finally like, oh, yeah, I'm free. So not healthy, not good. Because what are we focused on? The wrong thing. For every look at yourself, take 10 look to Christ. This is the hope. This is the reminder that, no, 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 no. For that sin, Christ has died. For that sin, I have been made righteous. I have been cleansed. I have been set free. I can now walk knowing, walk illuminated, and actually rejoice in the work that my Savior has done. Not, you know, killing myself for what has already been done. Because let's be honest, uh, we've already had that sacrifice offered. Killing me isn't going to accomplish anything. I kill me now in the new sins as I discover them. Putting to death my desires, putting to death my lusts of the flesh, and living in the hopes of the Spirit, knowing that there is a good kingdom that is coming. That's the newness of life. That's the freedom that we are given because we are actually capable. Now, verse 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. Uh, This is going to be so much fun. Okay, we're going to pause right there. The law failed to bring righteousness to sinful people. You know why? It was never meant to. It was never meant to. I've told you, my Sunday school class is going to nail this. You ready? The law was given to what kind of people? A redeemed people. Are a redeemed people supposed to be a sinful people? No, see, the law was supposed to be given for a people who were already at step two. That they, 
recognized their sin and had been redeemed by God and were being set on a new path. So the law was supposed to be their guide into their righteousness. The law was not supposed to make them perfect. The law was supposed to guide them in the perfection of God because God was already making them perfect. So Galatians 3 again. The law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Hebrews 7 again expands on this. On the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Now I'm going to pause real quick before we build out on this. Notice where Paul in Romans 8 is putting the blame here. What, for the law, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. Where's the problem? You, it's in us. Remember, chapter 7, the law is good and the law is perfect. Becomes, because in it is spiritual, becomes from a good and perfect and spiritual God. The problem is... We be the problem. Is we looked at the law and we corrupted it. We misapplied it. We didn't take step one. And we looked at it and be like, oh, look. If we just do, because humanity would never make this mistake. If we just take this list of things and we do everything on this list perfectly, then God will love us. <laughs> yeah. You know what I love about saying that? So, see, guys, I'm going to take a second and just tell you real quick. Most of you don't get that. Because guys don't think in that way. Typically, we just kind of like go from one task to the next one to the next one. And we don't even think about it. Most, I'm speaking generally, don't throw things and get mad at me. Women love a list. So every time I say something like that, there's like five of you that go, that... <laughs> I can see the grin. You turn into the Grinch and the smile goes all the way up. Because you're like, that is me. I'm married to one of these people. Like, give me the list of things in life. I will just knock out what's on my list and everything will be awesome. And then my favorite thing to do is like add to the list because then, then the death spiral occurs. But it's not my death spiral, it's hers. <laughs> I'm a bad person, I know it. Pray for my wife, she's married to an idiot. <laughs> Because once one thing gets added, because now this is the problem with checklist living in Christianity, is what happens when you have your list and it's perfectly organized and then something gets put on it that you didn't anticipate, that you didn't plan on? Because you can't account for that. And now something has got to be undone and there is something on the list that will not be accomplished and what's going to happen? And no, God is not happy with me. You're not given a list in Christianity. You're given what? A new heart in a renewed mind so that you can look at the things of life so that you can evaluate them rightly and serve God faithfully when? Now, forgetting what lies behind, not worrying about what comes forward, but serving God faithfully in the here and now. This is the hope. This is the strengthening in why Paul says you're not casting out, but you're leaning upon Christ. Because Christian, you're given a law. What is it? What's the law that Jesus gives you? How will they know? The new commandment is love one another. Why does Jesus give you that law? Because it's a summary of what? The lawyer comes to him and asks him, how do you read the law? What, what do you, how do you see it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you'll live. That's the law and the commandments. That's everything. So just, just love everyone the way that you love God and the way that you would like to be treated, golden rule, and you'll be perfect. <laughs> what does that require? That requires a changed heart and a renewed mind in the daily grace of God. The daily death of self. Taking up your cross daily, according to Luke, and walking faithfully with him. Because otherwise, what, what spurs up? The flesh. And it digs into you and it celebrates you. And this is the lack of accommodation that that law living gives you. So things like Galatians 3. As many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. See, we think there's hope in a list of things. We think there's comfort. There's really just condemnation. Because let's be honest, we think if I just make my list, I will knock everything out that's on it. But do you know what happens when you have to make your perfect list? Do you know how long it is? It's like... Well, oh, what is that movie where the kid unrolls his Christmas list and it just like... That's what your perfection list looks like. You know what's going to happen when your list gets that long? You're going to forget something. You're going to mess something up. You're going to do it wrong. James 2 tells you the same thing. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. 
That's what happens when you think in your power, in your ability, I'm going to follow my list, knock this out, and we're all going to be perfect. And the great work of the enemy, and I'm using that word great in great sarcasm, is that your flesh wallows in that. That's the weakness. So again, go back to Romans 7. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. See, you lied to yourself and you said, I'm good, I'm perfect, I've done all of these things well. Oh yeah, what about that? Well, I mean, that wasn't perfect, but I did better than most people. Oh yeah, what about that? Well, you know, I still did better than most people. What about that one? Okay, I utterly failed that one. Are you happy now? No, I'm not happy. What about that one? What have we just now discovered about you? You're guilty. Doesn't matter how many of those things you got right. It's all, uh, what's that joke about, the, uh, about keeping the dietary laws? The, I can't remember which the, who the comedian is. He's like, you're not going to get to judgment day and go, I killed a bunch of kids, but I ate right. <laughs> like, that's not how this works. There's no balancing here. You have broken one. You have broken all. Conversely, you can't look at, you can't go, well, no, but yeah, yeah, I, I ate the pork chop, but, 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 but I didn't kill anybody. Yeah, well, Israel, that was part of your law in the land. You have become guilty of what? This was the point. It's a schoolmaster to drive you to Christ. It's supposed to make you look at this and go, I want to. I want to keep everything. I want to do what is right and good and perfect. But what keeps happening? I keep happening. I keep getting in the way. And the desires of my flesh and then the lie of the checklist is go, but, 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 but I wanted to, but I didn't. Doesn't that make me perfect? Which is why Jesus shows up and says what? You have heard that it is said, don't look at a woman with lust, but, or don't commit adultery. But if you look at a woman with lust, you have committed adultery in your heart. You've heard that it was said, do not commit murder. But <laughs> this is the problem. All of a sudden that sin standard moves from the list of outward things that I haven't done to the list of inward things that I really, really wanted to do. And then I realize what? Now I'm dead. The, the law is alive and I am not. And I need to do what? Run back to my Savior. That's where the strength comes in. My weakness leads to my death so that I will be dead to sin as I am dead in Christ so that I will be alive to God as I am alive in Him. This is the hope. This is the transformation. This is the part of this you cannot forget. This is the need of humanity. It was the need of you. It is the need of them. It is the need of everyone. So let's continue. The law could not do weak as it was through the flesh. God did. So where we fail, God succeeds. How? Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So Christ brings righteousness where we could not. Things like Hebrews 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And Jesus is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, why, pray tell, would he do this? Because there's work being done. So let's continue on to verse 4. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is again why Jesus tells you that the law is not being undone, but it is being fulfilled in him. Where is your righteousness, Christian? It's not yours, it's in Christ. Remember, big fancy theological term of your day. I think this is our second one. You have an imputed righteousness. It was not yours. It is alien to you that has been granted to you. And it is granting you full righteousness. You are righteous in the sight of God because as you are in Christ, God looks on Christ and, well, God looks on you and sees Christ. It is not you. Penalty paid, righteousness secured. This is what Galatians 3 builds on. As many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. We read that. Keep going now. Now that one that now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, so that you would become the people of God, the fulfillment of what was lost in Eden. This is one of the things we're having real fun. Well, if nobody else is having any fun. I'm at least having fun with this on Wednesdays, going through the book of Genesis and why we're going so slowly. We've made it all the way to chapter 5, aren't we? aren't we spectacular? But why does it take so long? Because we're trying to make sure we don't miss all the little pictures of the work of God that that are being done for the promises of Christ. So that as we get to the rest of our Bible, we can see these foundations laid out. That what was lost in the garden is brought back in Christ. What has been the failure of humanity is the success of Christ. That as our dominion fell because we chose sin over God, Christ brings a godly dominion. That as our ability as prophets were not communicated rightly because God's message was not communicated well, Jesus perfectly explains the Father perfectly explains Scripture, and that kingly reign is actually accomplished because of what God has accomplished, not because of what we have failed in. That's the fulfilled hope that Abraham was longing for. That's the fulfilled hope that Christ brings. That's where we are supposed to rest, that God is actually ruling and reigning on behalf of his people, and while this world still rebels, there is coming a day when the king will put down that rebellion. And we will rejoice in that day because all of our warring will cease. All of our striving against our sin will be undone because all of our sin will be undone because it is what God has promised and he has been faithful to everything. Now, because that is the reality for us as people, we walk differently with that knowledge than we would have without that knowledge. That's things like Ephesians 5. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, just because you know this, I'm going to give you the easy pop quiz. To be wise in the world, what is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because it reminds you what? That there's a judgment upon sin and that is a frightful and terrifying judgment as Jesus warned you. And because of that, you run to your Savior in kindness and you are redeemed. And now because of the fear of the Lord, you actually see the world rightly and you are wise, not in your own eyes, but in his. Therefore, you evaluate and you think and you live. Verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. I can't imagine why they would do that. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And all God's people said, duh, this is how it works. This is the difference between being dead in your sin and being dead in Christ. These are the differences. So things like Galatians 5. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. Remember, that was the war we discussed last week. The bad part of that is that your sin is warring against your spirit, but the good news of that is your spirit is actually warring against your sin, and therefore you can rejoice because you know who's going to win. For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. You see why I love reading Paul's other letters? Because Galatians 5 and Romans 7 are like, yay, we're friends. We understand each other. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I think that's the most depressing and yet humorous part at the same time, is Paul rattles off all of these things. He's like, and etc., etc., etc. And you're like, how long is that list? Yes. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is, again, the difference between the Romans 7 Christian and the Galatians 5 Christian. So the Galatians, well, the Galatians, the Galatians 5 pagan. Practice these things. Is that what Romans 7 was talking about? When Paul was looking at his sin, was he pointing out the things that he's practicing? No, the thing that I want to do I don't do. The thing that I don't want to do is the thing that I'm doing. Yay me. That was what he said, right? No, no, no. Wretched man that I am who will free me from this body of death. Thanks be to God. This is the hope. This is the reminder. Again, I tell you this. 
part of the encouragement you should have in this world is that you look at your sin and that you're horrified. That is good news because that is the work of the Spirit because the pagan doesn't care. The pig in the mud, you have fun, go, I'm, I'm trying to think, where's the closest hog farm? You know, go find your own hog farm. I can't do everything for you people. <laughs> So go find your own hog farm, go out to the farm, you might want to get some waiters, and then go grab a pig and convince him that he's dirty. Okay? Let me know how that works for you. Give him a bath, clean him up, tell him to stay clean. (laughs) Now, you laugh at this because you're like, this would be an utter waste of my time. I get that. Because the pagan who's practicing his sin, the sinner lost in all of his darkness, doesn't care about his sin. He has seared his conscience, lied to himself, constructed his own reality. You ever, you ever watch that show Mythbusters? That was one of the clips at the beginning. I reject your reality and substitute my own. You mean, that's what we try to do in this world, and that doesn't work because reality is still undefeated. Because it's, it's reality. So because, with, because they have done this, you can point out their sin and they go, what sin? There's no problem here. This is how we live. Don't you want to get in here too? And that goes back to our original argument. You see these things rightly. This is cause for rejoicing. This is cause for celebration. Even when you recognize, oh my goodness, I am up to my knees. Yes, rejoice because you saw what? That you were in the filth of your sin and that there is a God who has redeemed you from such things and has changed your mind and is rejoicing with you as you recognize this and is pulling you out. So again, go back to my Pilgrim's Progress reference. When Christian got out of the castle and got back on the pathway, he didn't get a lecture and the nuns didn't whack his you know, knuckles with a ruler. They did what? Well, there were no nuns, but you stuck him on the road and Christian then does what? He continues on the highway towards the celestial city. It's just as if he never got off the road. The road was still there. The road is still good. The pathway is still right. And again, my favorite part of the book is that there's like one long section where Christian falls into every pitfall that's available. And then there's a short part of the book where his family just walks along because they have pastor to guide them. (laughs) Not that I'm saying you should always listen to me, but probably more often than not. My family should definitely listen to me more often. (laughs) There's the look. Yes. It's my mission in life to get that look from my wife at least once a day. But the hysterical thing about that is that the, as they're walking along, he's explaining, and here's, here's where your husband, because his wife and his children are now traveling, like, here's where your husband went off the path and almost died. And, and here's the other spot where he went off his path and almost died. And here's that spot where those bad people came over the wall. And they're just like, oh, that's terrible. And they keep walking. <laughs> and where Christian has to swim across the river to get to the city, there's a boat when they get there. It's just, it's awesome. And you're just like, huh. So like just reading and knowing your Bible would have actually been good for you. Because that's wisdom in your world. That's actually building your life upon the right foundation so that when you see the pitfalls, you go, wait, 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 wait. I fell in that one last time. I'm not falling for that. No banana in the tailpipe. Go me. Yeah, we didn't fall for that a second time. We kept on moving. That's the joy of the work that the Spirit accomplishes. This is the need. This is the transformation that God brings. And remember, this is the accomplishment that God is building on throughout his kingdom. So I'm going to read you something now that, please, please, I'm begging you. I'm reading this to you now. We're going to need this desperately in a couple of weeks, okay? It's going to be a few weeks, but it's going to be a while. But remember this then, okay? So there you go. Thus end my pleading and my begging. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. As you go through your Bible, what's the answer? Jesus. Jesus is your answer. If you're going through an explanation of something and you're like, and this is what's pointing you to Dave. Dave is not the answer. Dave may be a great guy. Dave may be awesome, the kind of guy you want your daughter to marry, but Dave is not the answer of your Bible. Jesus is the answer of your Bible. If you got to something other than Jesus, you got the wrong answer, go back to the beginning and start again. This is what you're being built towards. This is what you're being built up into as you live your life, to look like your Savior, to be redeemed, and to then be sanctified. So just remember this in a few weeks. You've been warned. We'll come back. Verse 6. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. 
Yes. And again, this is that eternal battle in the flesh of chapter 7. You know the way you're supposed to go and you're not going, which is also why you have to be very, very, very wary in your world. So things like Philippians 3. Brethren, join in following my example. Observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. One of the saddest parts of reading through the New Testament and actually understanding some of the history of it is seeing the the pain of the apostles in the writing. So you go from the book of Acts and you see it's like the church against the world as the church is being built and God is strengthening it. And then you realize that Philippians 3 is towards the end of Paul's ministry and he's warning the Philippians that there are these people who are a part of your church and they're not Christians, and you need to be careful of them. And then you get to things like the end of his ministry in Second Timothy, and it's like everybody who was with Paul, like in the first time he got thrown in jail, when he got thrown in jail the second time, like, this is going to end bad. You know, it was really nice knowing you, Paul. Have a good day. And everyone's abandoned him. And then you get things like John warning the church in Third John about those who are going their own way and who are trying to lead the church astray. And you have the same warnings in Second Timothy about the false teachers who have crept in and you recognize that Jude is written in the middle of the seventh decade, in the middle of the 60s, and Jude is warning the Christians of the people who are in the church who are destroying it from the inside. And then you can even fast forward 30 years give or take, and you've got the churches of Revelation and John is writing to be like, you're doing this really well, but you let these people stay. What is wrong with you, man? Like, what, what are you even doing here? And you recognize that the persecution and the problems are not just coming from the outside, but they're coming from the inside. Because how does Satan disguise himself? It's an angel of light. Remember, this is our, we always laugh. It's Halloween season, right? The devil doesn't show up with pitchfork and horns and a little tail and like, ah, and a little red unitard. Follow me. Ah, we sin. Ah. That's, that would be so much easier. Which, by the way, this is also why you don't experience like actual demons in your living room. Like, and I'm serious about this because be honest for just a second. While it would be a horrifying experience, imagine if Satan just appeared to you one day in your living room. How much comfort would that actually bring you? Because it would do what? Be like, you were trying to go after me? Oh man, Jesus must really like me. <laughs> I mean, it would just automatically, would, would there be any convincing you of anything other than biblical truth from that point forward? No, because you, you've seen the worst of the enemy and come through the other side. You'd be like, ha ha, you can't get me. And that would be the end of it, which is why he doesn't do that. He disguises himself as the angel. He goes, you know, did God really say, wouldn't it be nice if it's not really that bad? This is, this, this is the language of your culture around you. This is the twisting is, you know, we'll take your biblical words and we'll, we'll corrupt love and we'll tell you what a family looks like and we'll tell you what peace on earth is supposed to actually bring and who it's supposed to be with. And you're going, these are all terms that I recognize, but they don't make sense when you use them. Yeah. Because they don't make sense when they use them because they're not the same terms. They're different definitions. And this is the lie that the world is operating under. But Christian, by his mercy, by his grace, and in his power, you see that. Now, run where? Back to the cross, back to the work that Christ has done, and walk faithfully in light of that. Knowing that as you are wary in the world, that you are seeing it rightly. And again, the tightrope of Christianity is don't get bitter against the world at the same time. It's not their fault. It's not their fault. They're broken. They can't help themselves. Broken people do broken things. So I told you a few years ago, there was a, a political commentator who had a great description. He was trying to make sense of the political process from about 2014 to 2016. And he came up with a great slogan. Here's your government. You ready? Terrible people doing terrible things to terrible people terribly. <laughs> and you start looking at our government going, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, but this is your world at large. It's sinful people doing sinful things to sinful people sinfully. This is your world around you. This is what happens. And we look at it and go, I cannot believe it's broken. Yes, you can. 
You know that it's broken, so go in with your eyes open, but go in charitably, shining light, loving others as you love the Savior, and remembering that as he has changed and redeemed you, he can change and redeem them. Be faithful. Proclaim Christ. Celebrate Christ and recognize that even if they hate you, you've won. You have won because you were faithful. That's your victory. As you've walked the pathway, as you looked at the, the dude in the unitard of the pitchfork and said no, you win. That was the victory. You just said no more times than they said, are you sure? And you said, yeah, I'm sure. The answer is no. And that's your victory in Christ and you persevered to the end. Congrats. That's all it is. I mean, if you've been a parent, you're prepared for this. Isn't this half of parenting just being more stubborn than your kids? <laughs> Be honest, it's like, I'm not going to sacrifice what is right for peace and quiet. Okay, maybe. No, 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 I'm not. I mean, that's half of parenting right there. Not sacrificing what is bad for them just so they'll shut up and leave you alone. That, that prepares you for the world of sin. So if you've had grandkids, kids, nieces, nephews, or siblings for that matter, <laughs> you have been prepared for this world and congrats, you have a chance. Verse 7. Now, the, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is, not, it is not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We know that. We've understood that. We've covered all that. So we're going to look at this from a slightly different angle. Christian, always remember what your access point was. Romans 5. Having been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And again, Paul is not giving you an original thought. He is building on the Old Testament, things like Habakkuk 2. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him but the righteous will live by faith. And that's the answer to what changes this. This is what opens the door. So again, we've had fun going back and forth to Hebrews. And if you haven't had fun going back and forth to Hebrews, you know who has had fun going back and forth to Hebrews? I have. So go back to it again, Hebrews 11. Faith is what? The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it men of old gained approval. And then you get to the end of that little section. It says what? Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. This is one of those things that, again, be kind, of, kind of becomes that little key for you at, the, at your Bible. You go back and read the Old Testament, and we are so tempted to celebrate the work that is done. And we fail to remember the heart that is behind it is what's actually driving the work. If your goal is to, ooh, ooh, I want to do that thing, stop. You have missed a step. You have not built the right foundation. The step to Christian living is not doing the right thing. It is trusting and believing upon the right thing. And then the doing flows from that. Again, go back to your kids. Uh, you ever just tried to change their behavior by sheer force of will? <laughs> You ever had the stubborn kid? Yeah, because if you have more than two, or if you have more than one, one of them is going to be the stubborn kid. And then there's the one who's like, doesn't, because you always have the sweet one who you just look at them with a stern face and like, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. And then you have the second one, you give them the look and they gave the bad rip right back to you like, what is that supposed to mean? Be like, oh, you're that one. Okay. <laughs> All right, Satan, let's go now. <laughs> I'm the only one who does that to their kids. No, okay. I'm kidding. I don't think I've ever called them Satan. I might have called the minions of Satan once or twice, but I don't think I've actually called them Satan. That's not the same thing, right? <laughs> it is what it is. No. This is what ends up happening is you have to remember that you don't just change behavior. You have to change hearts. Your heart had to be changed. Their heart had to be changed. And what's the means by which the heart is changed is the proclamation of Christ and him crucified. This is the anchor of your life. This is your why your daily living is an understanding of who Christ is, what he has done, and then what that means going forward, which is instructive for how you argue in the world. Because be honest, I've done it. You've done it. We've grabbed some political argument. We've grabbed some sociological argument. We've grabbed some educational argument. And we've tried to build some straw man that they will listen to. And what ends up happening? They just look at that and go, that's just stupid. And then they move on. And you're like, I spent all this time learning all of this stuff. And you just, no. They're going to reject you anyway. Like, you're never going to philosophize them, to quote Dodgeball. <laughs> you're never going to philosophize them into the kingdom and then be like, see, 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 because of all of these human realities, now you too must love Jesus. They don't care. They're wallowing in the mud. You're trying to tell them how to get clean. The pig doesn't understand. 
You have to change them from being a pig into a man. And that's the work that the gospel does. Now, again, Christian, this is the why. This is the anchor for you. So as you're trying to explain yourself in the world, if you're trying to understand why you're doing what you're doing, when you start doing that reverse engineering and coming backwards, if you're not coming back to, and this is how I serve the God who loved me and died for me, you have not got back to the base foundation. You still have work to do in sanctification. Does that make sense? This is how you ground your life in everything. I used to put it this way. You got a Bible verse for that. Why are you doing that thing that way in that manner to those people? Do you have a Bible verse? If the answer is no, then why are you doing that? What's your justification? How does this serve Christ? How does this honor God? How does this preach Christ and him crucified? What's the foundation? And we do this all the time with everything. And no, I can't give you an example right now because you know whose life is different from mine? All of yours. So evaluate. Remember the rules. Terms and conditions may apply. Your mileage may vary. Your life has to be built upon the foundation of who Christ is and how you serve him in this world. That's where you are at work, where you are with your family. I always use my kids as an example because they live in my house. I recognize though that my kids don't live in your house. You're welcome. Just, just so you know. <laughs> and conversely, I recognize that some of you don't have kids in the house. Figure out what your stressors are. Love you. <laughs> figure out what your examples are, figure out what you're building your life, how you serve God, where you are, how you're living and what you're doing. Make sure that you have come back to who Christ is and how you are honoring the work that he has done. Because if you have not come back to that baseline in how you go to work, how you deal with your spouse, how you talk to your neighbors, how you see your politics, how you understand how you pay your taxes, all of these things, if you lose the foundation of Christ in any of those things, you have built yourself in the middle of the air. Nice, stable, and sturdy, right? How's that work out for you? All of a sudden, you turn into the Bugs Bunny cartoon. You're like the coyote. He runs off the cliff, and he's fine until what? Then he looks at, oh, no, there's no ground there. And then you drop. That's you. We build our philosophies in the middle of the air, and we're fine. And then all of a sudden, we look down one day and go, there's nothing there. And now the arguments fall apart, and we death spiral, and bad things begin to happen to our minds. Instead, do that work as you go. Make sure it's drilled down to a solid foundation that is Christ and built up. And I'm serious about that, by the way. When I talk about like how you go to the grocery store, that should be viewed in how you serve God. How you budget for your groceries, the stuff that you buy, the stuff that you don't buy, whether or not you ram into that old lady in front of you because she's being annoying and slow and won't get out of the way of the Oreos, you know, stuff like that. Okay, you're paying attention, so. <laughs> don't ram the old ladies over the Oreos, okay? That's how you give them a concussion and then that's how they drive like that. See, I do remember the things that I say on occasion. <laughs> but how you pay your taxes, the way you do it, whether or not you ask for an extension, these are all part of glorifying God in the world. How you vote, whether or not you do vote, whether or not you don't vote, for which nitwit you voted for, because those are always our options, let's be honest. You can flip a coin someday. Well, that's, why, that's my point. It's, you know, pick one. Don't pick one. Have a... Have a have a biblical reason. And I'm serious about that. Pick a good one, pick a bad one, don't pick one, pick a different one, write in your own name, have a gospel reason for it. How you see yourself in the world should be radically changed by how you see yourself in Christ. If it is not, you have found your idol, get to killing it, verse 9. However, so all that flesh spirit back and forth, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Because again, if you are being indwelt by the Spirit of God, you are changed, not for like a little while, by the way. You are permanently changed, Philippians 3. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. So in Christ, you are not sort of changed, you are completely changed. But if anyone, does not have the spirit of Christ. He does not belong to him. So again, be wary. Second John gives you this warning to make sure you abide in the teachings of Christ, to abide in scripture. Otherwise you lose Christ, you lose the son. And if you lose the son, you don't have the father because how do you access the father? Through Christ. Lose one, you lose both. Verse 10. If Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Yes. And by the way, Christian, that's your hope. That's your hope. 
that as you are taking up your cross daily, as you are dying to your desires, as you are forsaking the things of this world, denying the lusts of your flesh, warring against this body of death, as Romans 7 puts it, your hope is that he will make this good. First Peter 3, Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So that as you do that day by day, trusting in the spirit that is guiding you, putting aside the things of the flesh, this is your hope that that living spirit will bring you to a righteous place. This is where you have to ground yourself every single day. Not in me, not in the lie that the world gives me, but in the truth that Christ has proclaimed in his word, in the truth of who he is and what he has done and what that means he will actually do. And then finally, verse 11 for this section. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who, he, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See, this is why you have that hope. It is secure. Paul's not going, maybe, if No, the only if is if the spirit is in you, because if it's in you, then this will be accomplished. John 5, just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son also gives life to whom he wishes. And I know what you're going to think, and I know what you're going to say. You're going to go, but, 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 and I don't even know what the rest of the but is going to be, but I know you're going to find one somewhere, because you, like me, will have your Monday morning, 1 John 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And that's where you have to rest. Because when you do that little death spiral and you forget the work that Christ has done, do you know whose work you're remembering? And ours is so good, isn't it? Don't you just, don't you just love you? What's that? Was that Terrell Owens who did that in that press conference? I love me some me. <laughs> If you're not a football person, you have no idea who that is and why that's terrible. He was a really awful human being for a while. Most selfish football player in the history of the world until his quarterback got injured. And they're like, well, now that the backup's in and you didn't like your starting quarterback, he's like, that's my quarterback, man. And he's in there crying in the press conference. It was so weird. So, so weird. Yeah, that's not how you want to live in this world. You want to recognize that you are passing away. You are fading away. You are the leaves and the grass and the flowers of the field that are here today and gone tomorrow. But the spirit abides and it is transforming you into an eternal kingdom. It is transforming you into an eternal body, into an eternal place so that you will be in God's kingdom righteous forever. And it's the work he will do because it is the work that he has promised and is what he's accomplishing day by day. Your proof is the work that he has already done. Your joy in his salvation, your sorrow over your sin, and the warring that you have day by day. This is all the proof that, hey, he hasn't left me. He is carrying me forwards. We are at war and we are winning. We are winning. And you should do a little happy dance because you're winning. And nobody does, nobody does the dance when they're losing. That would be weird. But you are victorious in Christ because Christ is victorious. And that's the hope that is being built up. And that's the lens through which you have to see everything in your life so that Christian, you can go out, rejoice in your fight, Rejoice in your testimony. Rejoice in the life that you live. Evaluate everything because it is God who is at work in you and he is accomplishing all these things. Let's pray.